this programming of I'm going to lose relationship if I follow my pleasure mm. is super strong for right. me. Super strong. Right. That makes so much sense. And so it's very scary actually for me to follow my pleasure mm. with you. Mm. And you've been an incredible support in helping me get there and really helping me earn the trust in my own pleasure. Mm-hmm. Welcome to The Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach. And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. Today, we're going to talk about something that can be a little bit edgy for people, but not for me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's not super edgy for me, but what about you? Yeah, the... the program that we're going to talk about isn't edgy to talk about, but the topic feels edgy for me to talk about, which is sexuality and couples. Yeah. And the topic, the way that we're going to enter into this conversation is about reviewing or just discussing, dialoguing our experience of a Netflix series that came out last July, July, 2022, that's called How to Build a Sex Room. Yeah. It's kind of fun. We've enjoyed watching it for sure. Yeah. And we're probably, what, halfway through the the season? Yeah. So we've only watched a few episodes, but we were inspired to talk about it because there's a lot that has come up for us around this and we felt like it was something alive. And so we're like, let's do a podcast about it. So first let's talk about how we found out about it. Great. So a few months ago, some friends of ours organized a couple salon. And the way it works is each couple rotates hosting and you bring your own magic and you have things that you do when you're hosting. And this particular couple who are good friends of ours have done a lot of work with sexuality and sensuality and David data workshops and all kinds of things, all kinds of exploration. So, uh, we were over there for the salon and they had some fun explorations and exercises to offer. And then we had dinner together and somehow the show came up. So we uh, decided to watch it together. Yeah. And I had heard of it before, but I was, for some reason, I don't know, wasn't as interested, but they got us interested. It also happens to be filmed in Denver, which is exciting and cool for us because we're in Colorado. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't heard of this show, it's basically a show where this amazing host... I really, really like her. Her name is Melanie Rose. She's an interior designer by trade and is really focusing on creating sacred spaces. And then she started to get into this building sex rooms for people. And they created the show around it. So it's these couples who come to Melanie Rose and get her support and her help in turning a part of their house, a room, a space into a sex room. And the sex room is really built around their particular couple or their particular we, as we like to talk about it, and what they want and their different desires or their different challenges. And then she basically creates this 
sex room and really helps them expand and open up their level of thinking around what's possible around sexuality. Well said. Good summary. (laughs) Uh, What I love about it is they call her the Mary Poppins of sex rooms, which is a really cute (laughs) way to look at her. So why are we talking about it on the podcast? Let's explore that for a minute. One reason that I'm excited to talk about it is because as a couple who has high or ambitious goals, I feel like it's a continual need for you and I to keep stretching ourselves and growing ourselves in ways that our brain can see new opportunities, that we can stay connected, that we're not getting stuck into ruts. And I think that while I don't subscribe to this as a statement in in itself, I do think that whatever is showing up inside the bedroom is in some form impacting the other things that happen in our lives. And it's, you know, there's a lot of complexity in that statement. But I do believe that when you and I and other people that we know go into exploration inside of the bedroom and we open ourselves up more, it actually helps us take new courageous and bold action outside in the world. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad you brought that metaphor up early in this that was actually something I wanted to say. Oh, it was? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll just add to it that this idea that how you do life is how you do the bedroom mm-hmm. and vice versa, mm-hmm. I think is a really interesting frame to think about. Mm-hmm. And for me specifically, it applies to inhibition, shame, how much I allow my desire to burst forth into the world. Do I trust that in the bedroom, things like that, that are really interesting to explore. And just a general sense that, as you said, we have ambitious goals, we work hard. I'm in my head a lot, just speaking for myself, like my work is very heady. It's not very physical. And so one of the things you and I've been talking a lot about is how do we spend more time in the now and being and less Mm -hmm. time in doing. And so, of course, for me and my patterning, and I can speak more about that today, it's a huge shift in my orientation towards sexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I look forward to the patterning part. So basically, I think what we'll do is do a little bit of digesting the material of the series of the shows, and then we're going to go into a deeper cut around like our own personal experience between us, which I think is going to be really fun to talk about. Yeah. One of the fun things about the show, just to say one more thing about it specifically, that it features a lot of diversity and not just people who look different and who have different skin tones, but also different sexual orientations. There's a poly family in there. It's very interesting to, there's a gay couple, there's a lot going on. So it's just fun to celebrate the diversity of sexual expression as well. Yeah, well, I think let's go, let's just go into that now because that is part of like what I actually really appreciate about the show is that for me, I'm hoping that seeing the diversity that you're talking about and having this as a venue for the world to keep seeing more of the diversity and appreciate the diversity, that I'm hoping that it's going to spill out into a deeper level of openness that we have for each other and that we're actually all human beings. And we don't have to put each other, hopefully, in as many categories and straitjackets because of the perception of the differences 
that we have. 100%. Yeah. So that's something that I really love about the show. Yeah. I also love that it's bringing the conversation of sexuality again to a broader audience. And what I love about Melanie is one of the things that she says about it is that she, she says, and this is quotes that I found, I hope what viewers take away from the show is that sex is nothing to be ashamed of. Nice. So what I love is that there's like a, there's a, it's a normalizing factor for sexuality, for using different kinds of toys to experience sexuality. I find that, you know, people who are afraid of exploring things or of their own pleasure or of their own shadows, that they might be repelled by a show like this because they're just too contracted in their system. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that this is something that can help open up perspective. Absolutely. And specifically the idea, just the notion of dedicating a room in your house to sex. Yeah. It just elevates the importance of sex to, and sensuality and pleasure really to a level that is on par with, okay, I have a kitchen and I have, so I have a place where I prepare food. I have a place where I take a shit. I have a place <laughs> where I, you know, explore sexuality. It reminds me of setting up a meditation room so many years ago, you know, when I first started doing that, it's like, oh, I'm really, right. I'm really honoring this part of my life. Right. Yeah. One of the big impacts of this show for me has been, it's related to what you said about normalizing sex. There's a way that pleasure and all of these huge differences in how people experience pleasure, whether it's being immobilized or, you know, spanked or tied up or put in a cage or <laughs> there's even a golden showers thing is like a way of feels like an antidote to our cultural programming about pleasure. Mm -hmm. And it feels like we're still in this kind of Calvinistic Protestant kind of like, oh my God, pleasure is scary and dangerous mm -hmm. and you're not supposed to want it and you shouldn't let it lead your life and it's going to get you in trouble and we better just stuff it down. Right. And if we see people out there who are into kink, it's like, I can feel the projections probably even in my own self and culturally that that's not okay in some form. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk about this cultural programming because it feels so alive in my system. There is a couple on the show who it was explicitly revealed that they basically were not talking about her pleasure and how much, like, even if she had orgasm, they were a married couple. And when there was a reveal that she doesn't even really she thinks maybe she had an orgasm. He doesn't know really if she's had an orgasm. They've been, they're a married couple. It's like, oh my gosh. And we're talking about their whole marriage, their whole relationship. They don't right. know this. And what I want to talk about that is the, how vulnerable and sensitive it can be for couples, for females, when we don't have the tools, the teachings, the vernacular to even talk about sexuality and as a woman in this culture, I found myself having to seek out experiences to actually deprogram mm -hmm. all the things. Like I was, I think it wasn't, it wasn't until I was in my thirties that I faked orgasms. You with, faked orgasms until you were in your thirties? 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. Let's get that It straight. sounds like you started faking orgasms in your 30s. <laughs> that could have been. Well, maybe I should start it off again. <laughs> but that's a good point. No, I, I was pretty, with partners, I was faking orgasms. I think it was around my 30s. But when my 30s came, there was a specific like, okay, like, this isn't fun. I'm trying to do the thing that I think that the cultural programming tells me that a woman mm -hmm. should do to look sexy, to be sexy, mm -hmm. to perform in bed. And it just wasn't cutting it for me. And what I didn't know was that there was a whole other huge ocean of exploration as a result of me waking up to that, that I was able to get into. So I did my work around it and I'm still doing my work around it. But this cultural programming for women and for men around what pleasure looks like, what sexuality should look like is heavy and it's thick and it's also workable. We can penetrate that as long as we're actually really having the tools having the desire. And I guarantee you're going to have a whole different experience if you're willing to go there. I appreciate you sharing that. I, I think it's a, such an important message for people out there who have had or who are having the experience you talked about just now in your 20s and how women's pleasure is such a deprioritized factor in what we think about the cultural program of sexuality and pornography and you know, the, um, the images that we're bombarded with of a guy getting off and a woman and, you know, seemingly liking it, but right. probably not, right. probably not doing, having any pleasure and maybe even getting pain that right. she doesn't want. Totally. And then there's all the statistics, which I wrote down a bunch, but I forgot, forgot it to take it with me of like how many women are actually having issues experiencing orgasm or haven't experienced it in their lives before. So there's so much room there to explore together. Yeah. I yeah. want to briefly share that in college, I had a partner who had not had an orgasm that she could remember ever, right. not even alone. And how ashamed I was that, you know, I, I took it on personally that I was not able to help her mm. get there. Mm. Right. And hard. it went on for years right. and it was extremely painful. Mm. And of course there was trauma that was under that for both of us. But anyway, it's, I think mm -hmm. this is a really, really, really common problem around pleasure yeah. and orgasm. Yeah. So another benefit to this show is this woman, Melanie Rose, which she's just, well, first of all, I have to say about Melanie Rose, she is not the kind, she doesn't look in my eyeballs like the kind of woman who would be hosting how to build a sex room, which I love about that. Like she's, I don't know, in her fifties or sixties, she's beautiful in, her, in every way. And she's just not the like supermodel, long blonde, you know, big boobs and small waist. Like she's normal, right? which actually really helps me relate to her and relate, trust her. Well, and the couples are, as I said, in not only all colors and orientations, but also all shapes and sizes, totally. which is so wonderful it's to so see. Good. I'm so good. So relieving about that. Yeah, and I really feel like she is helping these these women and these partnerships have conversations about sex, what they like, what they don't like, and start to get into the thing that we're talking about that's not being talked about around orgasms and sexuality. So I love that about the show. Let's talk a little bit. I want to share a little bit about my programming. Um, you shared a little bit of your experience in your 20s. And I think my programming from childhood and also into my 20s around sexuality was really pretty traditional American cultural boy understanding of sexuality, which is like it's your job to 
perform well mm. in bed. The lover, the man who doesn't perform well in bed is some kind of asshole who's not going to stay in that. Like the woman's going to leave right. if he doesn't pleasure mm. her properly. It's so painful. It's a, it's a story, right? Yeah. And so having that kind of pressure mm-hmm. to perform obviously just pours cold water on the whole experience. Right. Totally. And it, I, how could it be enjoyable? Right. How could you even sustain the physiological <laughs> right. blood flow to, right. to go there? And then I would imagine then you're imprinting these really hard experiences in your system around sexuality as you start to mature as an adult. And like, how do you work with that? Anyway, go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt yeah. you. Well, around a year before I met you, as I was beginning to exit relationship that I've talked about in previous episodes, I reached out to a person who, you know, who you'll, maybe you'll speak about who referred me to an incredible coach by the name of Catherine Jesse, and we'll put her information in the show notes, but she helps people get out of their head and get embodied and uncover and dismantle these filters that we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. And the workbook that she wrote that I went through as in the summer before I met you really changed how I was orienting toward pleasure and toward orgasm and toward sexuality in general. Mm, Yeah. Thank goodness. But it's a, it's an ongoing discovery. Yeah. And I think it'll be lifelong for me Yeah, to keep pulling off the blankets of that. Yeah, totally. Me too. And then we get to work that together, which is also really cool. Huge. Having a partner who's willing to work these pieces together, it's a game changer. 150% 150% totally. changer. So I'm so grateful to be in this with you. Definitely need a dance partner for the kind of practices we're wanting to do with yeah. each other. Yeah. And since you brought up Caffin, Jesse's name. So the just to give a shout out to for Christian Pelmas, P-L-M-A-S, runs a group called the Verdant Collective, which you can go to theverdantcollective.com to find out about it. But that was one of the programs that I took that really was life-changing for me around reprogramming or deprogramming what was in my system around sexuality and pleasure and reprogramming what's actually really true. So for anybody who's interested in that, that's something that you can check out. So there's two names, Caff and Jesse and Christian Palmas's The Verdant Collective. So we'll take a quick break and we come back, we'll share a little bit about what we would have liked to see a little bit more of in this TV show, if it were at all possible and our own personal process. We'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements, agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. These agreements help us stay connected, growing, and thriving as a couple, and they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. You can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance. And now back to the episode. 
Okay, so there's two, pretty much just two things that I would have loved to have come through the show. Although I don't even know if it would be possible because there's so much in these shows. They're just scratching the surface of the conversation getting started. So it feels like a big ask. But what I would have loved is to have more of what becomes possible when we use different toys or avenues of pleasure to create more intimacy, connection, and vulnerability with each other. Because I feel like this is such a rich area if we're not subordinating to the cultural programming, if we're not getting our heads about what should happen, like you were talking about, like you had a programming of what needs to happen. When we let go of our agendas, there's so much room for really deep intimacy and knowing each other and discovering things together. So in the show, that part has been missing for me so far. And maybe it's coming, mm -hmm. but I think it would be hard to come across. I agree. It would be like a really nice, maybe sister show to go deeper into the emotional territory of what does it actually mean to commit to exploration? And it's almost like, well, you built the room, but then are you going to actually use it? And how are you going to use it? And are you going to just play out the cultural filters in the room? Exactly. Okay, here's what the fucking is supposed to look like, and right. let's do it. Or Now that we have handcuffs, like yeah. we're going to do the Fifty Shades of Grey thing. Right, and maybe that's fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. I'm not trying to make that wrong. Totally. I think there's a spectrum. Yeah. A whole spectrum of... Yeah. Yeah. Whatever turns you on, you know, go for it. And there's, there's, there's but, beauty in what you're saying, like you're saying. I want to double click on that. Yeah. And yeah. there's also lost opportunity if the spectrum of options and depth isn't part of the menu. Absolutely. I mean, again, one more time. <laughs> I am not here to make anyone wrong in yeah. the ways they experience pleasure yeah. by any means. I yeah. just have, in my own experience, felt trapped in these cultural uh, programs that run, we've talked about procedural memory, the automatic patterns. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, let's automate our partner. Let's automate sexuality. Mm -hmm. Let's do what, let's get to the orgasm as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, you have your orgasm, I have my orgasm, we're great, that's all we need. Yeah. Like, versus this deeper opportunity when we look at our relationship to pleasure. Mm -hmm. And for me, it feels really interesting to take the leap of designing a life that is led from a place of desire and pleasure. Right. Versus I get my pleasure compartmentalized mm -hmm. over here, mm -hmm. you know, for 10 minutes, twice a week or mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's just like not a part of my all day, every day way that I see and experience the world. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I have one more thing that I would like to see in the show, if it were up to me, is a deeper cut around why a sex room, in addition to what you were saying, could be supportive. So what I get excited about exploring more of, and then this kind of leads into more of our private probably conversation is what are the parts, if we're talking about parts work, we've talked about this before, internal family systems, what parts of me are not fully online in the bedroom and in the world that if practiced with you would help build the strength of, and then I could be more of that, like maybe bold or courageous or taking new exploratory avenues in my life that if I really felt comfortable inside of our attachment, inside of our sexuality mm. would 
bleed out into the areas that are also very important to me in career or a friendship or whatever that looks like. Is there any aspect of that exploration you'd like to share in regards to like the part of you that might be hidden or not fully expressed there? <laughs> Thanks for the question. Um, I would say there's something about being less rigid and just open and trusting and following probably authentic desire and trusting that that is not just enough, but that is what is really potent when followed. Mm -hmm. And then there's probably also a little bit of like, just, can I take control? Can I be like, this is what's happening. This is what mm -hmm. we're doing. And mm -hmm. also have you be feel included and along for the ride. So there's something in there for me. What about you? Well, I would, I welcome that exploration of you <laughs> taking control. <laughs> okay. That would be fun to explore with you. Yeah. Okay. Feels that does feel edgy to me. And so okay. I look forward to that. Great. Yeah. I think it would be edgy for me to surrender to you taking control. So I'm, I'm definitely up for that. Okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you? Is there anything that you want to speak to there for yourself? I know that there was other things you wanted to talk about with our in private internal experience in relationship to the show. feels vulnerable to share, but I'm going to just say that the difficulty that I'm most excited to take down in my life around sexual pleasure is the difficulty around allowing my body to experience whatever format or whatever part of my body feels pleasure that in my mind, in my head is like, it's not okay. Mm. Or it's not okay to ask you for X, Y, or Z, or it's not okay for me to, for me to feel pleasure in parts of my body that I have stories about mm. that means something mm -hmm. that I'm less than, or that mm -hmm. I am too weird or mm -hmm. too out there or mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just still working with a pretty, I think a very narrow definition of what is acceptable and what's okay in terms of pleasure. Mm. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I'm, I would imagine that that's true for a lot of people. Yeah. If they really look, you know? Yeah. So just stuffing our pleasure into this straitjacket of X is okay. Y is not okay. Right. I don't, I'm not even going to talk about why because it's too edgy or feels too vulnerable or whatever. Again, it's just like putting your body in a weird, contorted, straitjackety situation. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Growing up in the 1970s and with a family system where my dad wasn't around and my mom was the dominant, you know, she was the presence of the parent. Mm -hmm. It was sort of like this, and this is a cliche to some degree, because there's a lot, in other words, there's a lot of guys like me out there who grew up in the seventies who were raised by feminist moms who really didn't trust males following their pleasure. Hmm. At least that was my experience mm -hmm. is like, you better tighten that down. You better button that up. That's going to get you into trouble. Mm. And so this programming of I'm going to lose 
relationship, if I follow my pleasure, mm. is super strong for right. me. Super strong. Right. That makes so much sense. And so it's very scary, actually, for me to follow my pleasure mm. with you. Mm. And you've been an incredible support in helping me get there and really helping me earn the trust in my own pleasure. Mm-hmm. Well, as those of you who are listening, I feel like you're bearing witness to like just how much work opportunity I like to say there is for Will and I here for you and me well to be working together. And I really appreciate your willingness to go to the levels of self-examination and then sharing at this level so that both we can keep working our opportunities and possibilities together Mm -hmm. and other people get to hear this too. Like, I feel like, again, it's like, it's just not talked about enough. So thank you. Thank you for all the support and contact and partnership around that. Oh, you too. It's been great. Healing continues on all levels. One thing that I want to bring up to you about the sex room idea is that I love the idea of it. I love, like you were saying, it's a place to go to focus on what's happening there. In terms of this series, How to Build a Sex Room, the next thing that I would like these people to do, if it were up to me, who now have their sex room, is to not bypass, and we were kind of already talking about this, but not to not bypass the issues and the challenges and the things that originally got them to the place of, hey, either we need support here where our bedroom is like a disaster area with, you know, clothes all over the place and two TVs and like, like to actually enjoy the, the sex room. But if we're not doing our work at the same time, that sex room will probably again become in this couple's case, a disaster of clothes all over the place and not kept up and not taken care of and sinking back into the challenge that this particular couple had prior to the sex room. Like don't bypass your work because you have this shiny object now in front of you and a couple of tools. Right. It's like the person who buys all the gym equipment and never uses it. Right. Except for like a week or two or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to extend that just a little further, I would love for chapter two of this series to examine these roles and how the couples are actively examining how am I participating in a cultural program mm-hmm that I'm running automatically in the sex room or in the bedroom. Right. I love that. And is that okay with me? It might be okay. Again, there's no wrong way to do it, but to have the opportunity to look at it and decide if it's okay or not versus just running the tape. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I think we need? What's that? How to build a podcast room. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you listening, we're still recording in our master closet because there's like clothes to dampen the, you know, the sound effects. Although we did just add an additional mirror to our closet and that's pretty hot. (laughs) I mean, mirrors can do a lot of things in my experience with, you know, just making a space be very different. So maybe we have a podcast sex room. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This has been fun talking about this program and this topic. We're going to leave you with a challenge today. And the challenge is we love challenges, especially (laughs) inspiring challenges. Inspiring challenges we love, yeah. Yeah. 
So if this challenge is inspiring to you, we invite you to try it out. And the challenge is take a look at the way you are navigating pleasure and sexuality and ask yourself, is this satisfying at the deepest level? Totally. I love that. And honest, candid look, and it might need to be with yourself first so you can get, you know, more real. Absolutely. I love that. And if it's not like a 10 out of 10, like I'm crushing my sexuality. Right. Crush it. (laughs) (laughs) Or I'm like, you know, getting super nourished by my sexuality. Okay. It's more feminine. (laughs) Could be either, both. Yeah, Yeah. both or either. Uh, What tools or supports might you need to take your game to the next level? Mm, Love that. Thank you. All right. And leave us a comment. Let us know how it went. Totally. Please let us know. We would love to hear from you. Talk to you next time. See you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow this show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If this show has sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Art of We Podcast. And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on the Art of We Podcast.